Our Heavenly Father, it is a privilege to know you through the Lord Jesus Christ. We take for granted the relationship that we have with you that is not of our own doing, but it is all from you. Because of your grace, we are able through faith to approach your throne right now, knowing that you are with us. So we ask by the presence of your spirit that you will guide us into your truth, convict us, teach us, challenge us, comfort us, mold us in whatever way that you want to do so that we become more like your son, Jesus Christ. This is our goal and our heart's desire and our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was beginning to think about what to share with you this morning and pray about that, the Lord led me to a passage of Scripture, and we'll get to it uh, in, in just a few minutes, from the Psalms. And he led me to, uh, to address a topic that we may not hear much about, uh, from the pulpit anyway. It's a topic of success, the topic of achievement, doing something really good. And I'm not here to give you three tips and tricks on how to be successful in life. You can get that on any televangelist anywhere on TV, uh, if you want. I'm, I'm joking. I don't condone that in any way. Okay. <laughs> I think the Lord is more, import, more concerned about our response to success than he is about our success itself. Does that make sense? And you know, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, a Christian, one who, one who says, I am a, a, a disciple of Jesus, our, our goal, our intention is that we become reflections of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we become living testimonies of the life of Jesus within us, that we reflect his honor and his image, the Bible uses that term. We are, we are being shaped into his image. Now, there are a lot of circumstances, both good and bad, in life that provide opportunities to reveal the life of the Lord Jesus Christ or the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ in us. One of them is what you do with or how we respond to success, achievement, victory, doing something good. A few quotes that I found uh, They're not my own quotes, but just to kind of orient us here to what we're talking about. One person said, circumstances do not make a man. They reveal him. And another quote, the real test of greatness is not whether a man possesses fame or power, but how he employs them. And I thought those were two good quotes that basically essentially say the same truth that's, that's expressed in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 21. That's not our main text for this morning. But I like the, the New Living Translation version of, of Proverbs 27, 21. It says, fire tests 
the purity of silver and gold, but a person is tested by being praised. How we respond to praise, how we respond to success, tells a lot about who we are. And as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's an opportunity to reflect who we are. And I hope that that is, number one, we are followers of him. We are being shaped into his image. Have you ever, really, have you ever felt really good about achieving something? Now, you might not this morning feel very successful or particularly happy about having done anything, but can you think in your memory? I'm sure there are times when you've achieved something. You, there's been a success in your life. I could think of a number of things for me. Uh, One story that came to my mind is quite a few years ago when um, Rhonda and I were in ministry, youth ministry, with the Salvation Army near Philadelphia. I was given the uh, assignment to initiate or to start a Boy Scout troop at our Salvation Army facility. Now, I'd never been a Boy Scout myself, I didn't know anything really about scouting. So I said, well, to my, you know, I don't know, I, how hard can it be? Yeah. And so then I called the local scouting executive, and uh, he came over, and we began to talk about what needed to happen in order to set up all this, the scouting program. And my spirits began to sink lower and lower and lower as he explained how you had to have a governing board of half a dozen people with certain you know positions for that board you had to have that on top of all the leaders to run the actual scouting program and we were hoping to set up the uh, was it tiger cubs um, and help me here uh, the boy scouts uh, cub scouts thank you you can tell I've, it's been a while. Um, well, the whole gamut we were hoping to have there. So when the scouting executive finished explaining all this to me, I, I really thought to myself, I, you know, I don't know how we're going to be able to accomplish this. With We have very few leaders and we have very few parents. And those that are parents are not all that engaged. And I really just don't know if this is going to happen. But miraculously... Over the next few weeks, as I, I approached each of the leaders, each of the parents, I explained the vision for the scouting program. Every one of those positions was filled. Boom, 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 boom. And it came together. And I called the scouting executive and I said, hey, we've got it all ready to go. We're ready to roll. And he said, great, I'll be over next week. So he came over and we were finalizing the you know, paperwork and just making sure everything was in order to actually begin the program. And it was then that he expressed how pleasantly surprised he was that everything had come together so quickly. And he said, thanks, Jeff, you did a great job. And I saw it as an opportunity to glorify the Lord. So I said, well, let's thank the Lord because he's the one that did it. And he said, well, we can do that too, as if he didn't really believe the Lord had anything to do with it. Um, 
I tell that story because it's one happy memory in which things did come together. There was an achievement that God used me to accomplish, and it was a good thing. And yet, fortunately, by his grace, I had the presence of mind to remember that it really isn't me. It was, it was the Lord that was doing that. Now, just to follow up on that story, um, to, keep me from my thorn, to keep me from being too tall, taller than I already am in my own mind, less than a year later, the whole thing fell apart. So that was just his way of, you know, keeping me in my place. But success victories, uh, achievements, these come in a lot of different forms. It might become, come in the form of building something, creating something, maybe seeing a project completed, whatever it might be, seeing people come to faith in Christ through the efforts of our church or programs or whatever. It might be in the form of even something like completing physical therapy after you've gone through a difficult surgery. Those are successes, and, you know, there are all kinds of different things, achievements. With whatever victories or successes we experience in life, God's Word helps us celebrate them in ways that reflect the glory of God and the life of the Lord Jesus Christ within us. God's Word gives us, if you will, the, the lenses to put on to view our achievements, to view our successes in the light of his word and in the light of being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. The passage of scripture we're going to look at this morning is Psalm 18. So I want to give you a moment, since we don't have it projected this morning, to get out your own Bibles and open up to Psalm 18 or find a pew Bible. And uh, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, the ESV, The Pew Bibles, I believe, are the NIV, but there's enough similarity that you'll be able to follow along with this. This passage of Scripture, Psalm 18, I'm not going to read the whole thing in case some of you are already looking at it and thinking, oh boy, this is going to be a long one. Um, I'm only going to read a, a, a a slice of it. But this psalm in its entirety is written just for the purpose that I've been talking about, to give us a model a lens through which to view achievement, to which to, from which to view victory, from which to, to celebrate and to honor God through these things in life. I'm going to read verses 30 to 36, a sort of a cross-section here that really contains some, some, the heart, I would say, of this psalm. So Psalm 18, beginning at verse 30 and going through verse 36. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. I need to pause here for one moment. King David is the one that wrote this psalm. So when he talks about he made my feet, he's he's talking about his own personal experiences here in victories. And we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. 
Verse 34, he trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. You gave me a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. The main point, really, in this message and from this psalm is pretty simple. It is the fact that our victories are powered by God himself. Real simple, but sometimes difficult for us to hold on to that truth, especially sometimes when we do experience victories and achievements. Our victories, as David declared in so many words, they're powered by by God. There's a few things to pay attention to in this passage that I read, verses 30 to 36. The first thing I'd like us to pay attention to here is that David, without question, attributed his glorious military victories to God himself. And that's really what he's referring to in this this section um, that I read. This psalm is what we call a thanksgiving psalm. Psalms have different categories to them, if you ever noticed reading them. They're not all alike. Some of them are psalms in which uh, David or someone else is, is crying out in desperation to the Lord. Help me, I'm in huge trouble, and those kinds of things. Some are psalms, and we call them imprecatory psalms, which basically, God, I'm, I'm in big trouble, there's a big enemy after me, sick them, <laughs> get them, God. Those kinds of things. Well, this psalm is different from those. This is a, this is a thanksgiving psalm. And it's, it was written not in a period of desperation, not in a period of deep trouble or anything like that, but in a time when David had achieved massive success on a, on a national scale. And this is a celebratory, a, a thanksgiving psalm. It's designed then... God inspired King David to write this psalm for the purpose of leading God's people in giving thanks to him for successes, for achievement. And you and I are God's people. We share in that. So this is to be our biblical pattern as well. Now, to go about doing this, David uses his incredible experiences of victories in battle as his reference point. And so let's look at some of these victories or some of the things that David was speaking about specifically. If you go to the beginning of the psalm, beginning of Psalm 18, you probably will see a a section there that's called a a title. It's before verse 1. And uh, in in my version, it reads like this. To the choir master, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord rescued him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And it goes on. This title from at the beginning of Psalm 18 is actually taken from another Old Testament book, one of the historical books, the book of 2 Samuel, specifically chapter 22, verse 1. I'm not going to read that, but you can clearly see if you refer back to chapter 22, verse 1 of 2 Samuel, that it provides the setting for Psalm 18. 
The Psalms is simply a, a songbook uh, for the nation of Israel, for God's people. But they had specific settings, life settings in which they were written. Second Samuel helps us understand that life setting of which, out of which David wrote this psalm. If you want to go back to Second Samuel chapter eight, it gives us here uh, some examples of David's military victories, David's God-enabled victories over Israel's enemies, over David's personal enemies, over enemies that were threatening to crush and destroy God's people. I'm not going to read by any means all of this chapter, but I want to I picked out a sample of the victories, uh, one of the victories that David uh, had here, beginning in verse three of Second Samuel chapter eight. Now it's going to have some names in here that most of you won't be familiar with, but these are military rulers from nations that surrounded the nation of Israel. Verse three: David also defeated Hadadezer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah, as he went to restore his power at the river Euphrates. And David took from him 1,700 horsemen and 20,000 foot soldiers. Pretty good victory. And David hamstrung all the chariot horses, but left enough for a 100 chariots. And when the Syrians of Damascus came to help Hadadezer, king of Zobah, David struck down 22,000 men of the Syrians now, this is not meaning to say that David, just one man, did this. It means that he led the army uh, in defeating all of these. Then David put garrisons in Aram of Damascus, and the Syrians became servants to David and brought tribute. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. And David took the shields of gold that were carried by the servants of Hadadezer and brought them to Jerusalem. He got some plunder here some pretty costly plunder. And from Bita and from Barathai, cities of Hadadezer, King David took very much bronze. And you could read more in chapter 8 here about the things that David was able to accomplish. But it's clear, even from, chapter, even from this chapter, that it was God who enabled David's victories. It was God that powered David's victories. David's career as the king of Israel, and even before he became king, was defined by escape from his enemies and overpowering his enemies and defeating his enemies. It was defined by subduing his enemies. You know the story about before David even became king, King Saul, the, the, at the time the current king of Israel, was literally hunting David down in the wilderness. And David was fleeing from point to point. And there are points you can read in the history as well how David miraculously escaped from King Saul. And David had snuffed out several rebellions that occurred during his reign as of king of Israel. One of them even being a rebellion from his own son, Absalom. Talk about tough. And David had several key victories over the, the Philistines who were the sort of arch enemies of the nation of Israel at that time. 
and threatening to uh, take over the land as well. David was at the height of his power as king when he wrote this Psalm 18. And that's the setting. That's the life setting. And that's, from, that's, uh, that's the heart out of which he writes this psalm. Now, probably none of us have led thousands of people into an awesome, glorious military victory and hamstrung horses and led off 22,000 captives, prisoners of war. Probably none of us have done that kind of thing. But in one way or another, no matter how insignificant it may seem compared to what David had done, we've experienced victories. We've experienced achievements or successes in our life. The intent of this psalm, as David wrote it, is that we would follow David's pattern in in attributing our victories to God and lavishing God with thanksgiving for them. So that's the first thing I wanted to point out. David clearly attributed, and therefore, if we follow that pattern, we must also clearly attribute our successes to the work of God. Very plain. If you don't get that, anything else, get that from this passage of Scripture. But the second thing we need to pay attention to here is that within the verses that I read in Psalm 18, verses 30 to 36, within those verses, there are a couple of key principles in there for us to notice that will help us really internalize what it means for God to power our successes or our, our own achievements. Okay? These, these victories are, and our successes derive, and here are the two principles, they, they derive, first of all, from God's own character, who he is, and secondly, from what he does or his actions. So let's look at that just a moment. Character-wise, God is perfect. God is absolutely flawless in power. What I mean is that God is able to accomplish anything he wants to accomplish. He is able to complete, to do anything and everything that he wants to accomplish. Theologians call that, call that his omnipotence. He is able to accomplish anything that he wants to accomplish. And that perfection of power, that perfection of ability is mirrored. And here's the interesting part. that It's mirrored in what he produces in you and me. That's our relationship with him. Just to see what I mean. Reading here in verse 30, I'll point out a couple of words. Verse 30 down to uh, 32. This God, his way is perfect. Okay, the ESV translates this word perfect, which in the Hebrew is the word tamim. I'm not sure what maybe some other translations say there, but the ESV translates this as God, his way is perfect, tamim. It means that essentially complete, there is no impurity. There is completely blameless in every way. God's way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? 
the one who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless is the word here, but it's the same Hebrew word, tamim. Okay, translated blameless in verse 32, perfect in verse 30. God equipped David out of his, out of God's perfection, God equipped David to reflect his awesome, flawless strength and power. God equipped David with physical strength, verse 32, the God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. God gave David sure-footedness to climb the rocky hills of the Palestinian terrain. Verse 33, he made my feet like the feet of a deer. Okay, when I first read that, I'm like, I don't want feet like a deer. I like my own feet, thank you. But the image is of a deer that's able to bounce and spring very sure-footedly over the hills. And set me secure on the heights. God gave David the skill to handle the bow and arrow well. Verse 34, he trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. And God enabled David to run swiftly without slipping and falling. Verse 36, you gave a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. The point's very simple, character-wise here, thinking about God's character. Though we are not perfect in any way, we're not perfect like God, as followers of Christ, we actually become little displays of his perfection. That's what David is saying here. My, David's saying, my ability to bend the bow of bronze, my ability to jump over hills and, and to gain victories in, in, over, the, over the other nations, all of that is simply a reflection of the awesome, flawless power and ability of God Almighty. And for you and me, that's the principle. Whatever achievements or successes are ours in Christ, they are actually simply pointers to the ref- they, they reflect and they, they display God's awesome, flawless power and ability. It gives a different perspective, doesn't it, on achievement. That's the character-wise. Now, God's action, the principle of his action here, our victories and our successes are possible only because God almost literally stoops down to our level to allow us to succeed and to allow us to gain that victory, to make us great. Verse 35, David says, You have given me the shield of your salvation, and your right hand supported me, and your gentleness made me great. One of the nicest and most memorable Father's Day cards I ever received. It was a few years ago. Um, it was, it's just a perfect card uh, because on the front of it, it showed a picture of a father bending down on his knee, tying his little boy's shoe. And it said something like, the true measure of a man is not how tall he stands but how low he's willing to go 
to help others or something like that. That's what David's talking about here. That's what God does for us to give us success, to give us victory. God stoops down for that to happen. Verse 35, the very last phrase, your gentleness made me great. That word gentleness, at least translated that way in the ESV, has the same root word, root meaning in Hebrew as we might translate it humility, meekness, or even condescension. It's the idea of bowing down. It's the idea of stooping down. And he says there, your gentleness, your stooping down, your humility, O oh God, made me great. David recognizes that if it weren't for God stooping down, there would be no victory. There would be no success. You know, my wife, I didn't tell her I was going to share this, so it's a surprise, but my wife was teaching math to college students when she herself was still a college student. That shows you her ability in the area of math. But today, my wife takes out little addition and subtraction flashcards and sits there with our five-year-old and teaches him the rudimentary elements of math. That's what I'm talking about. That's what God does for us to make our successes a reality. Bottom line, if it weren't for God stooping down his gentleness, as David puts it there, there would be no achievements. There would be no victories. We must recognize this. So our victories, our successes, derive from God's character, first of all, and from his action for us. Again, doesn't that twist things around a little bit so that we're not so focused on what I did? What you did is great. But in the, in the biblical perspective... It helps us recognize that we owe really everything to God. David certainly recognized that. One more thing to pay attention to, if I can keep myself together up here. This psalm has really another layer to it. When we read Psalm 18 in the light of the whole witness of Scripture, the whole narrative of the Bible, particularly when we read Psalm 18 in light of the New Testament and its revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, we especially see that Psalm 18 finds its fulfillment in him. Psalm 18 finds its complete fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we didn't take time to read all of Psalm 18, but I do encourage you, if you have time, maybe this afternoon, if between the birthday party and the mission thing later, find time to read or listen to Psalm 18. It will impress you. It has amazing language in it. This Psalm of Thanksgiving, with all its descriptions of God's mighty acts, and the way that he enabled David to be victorious in battles, it ultimately describes Christ himself and the ultimate victory that Christ won over sin and death. And it ultimately, further on, describes and points to 
the victory, the complete and final victory that will be his when he returns one day soon. In fact, the theologian John Calvin, when he read Psalm 18, he, he said that this psalm, uh, there's much in this psalm, he said, that agrees better with Christ than with David. Now, we don't know how the Lord always does these things, but certainly he inspired King David to write this. And we don't know at what level or understanding uh, David had in terms of it ultimately pointing forward to Christ. But I believe that he had some, at least elementary, understanding that what he was writing went way beyond him and did point to Christ. I believe that because of the, the promises, the covenant promises that God had given to David. But beyond John Calvin, uh, what he said, the Apostle Paul, in the book of Romans, chapter 15, verse 9, he selected a quotation from Psalm 18, uh, in fact, uh, from verse 49 of Psalm 18, and he used that quotation from this very psalm to reinforce the fact that the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ over sin and death, his victory on the cross and at the grave, That victory is for non-Jewish people, Gentiles, as well as Jewish people. In other words, Paul used a part of this psalm to reinforce the fact that Christ's victory is for everyone. So that's what I mean about reading this in light of what the New Testament shares here. So as we thank God for our successes and our victories... Let those successes and those reminders, let those successes, excuse me, and those, those victories, those achievements be reminders to us that we live in the ultimate victory of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's ultimately all about him, not about us. Any success or victory, no matter how insignificant it might seem to you, it can be a pointer to Christ's victory. It can be a pointer to him. It can be, if you make it that way. If we live outside the truth of Psalm 18, then what happens to our achievements, our successes? If we live outside the truth expressed here in the word of God, then our achievements, our successes, become stained with pride, become stained with self-centeredness, and they ultimately don't achieve what God really intended for them to achieve as ultimately pointers to his glory and honor. So we sell God short when we live outside this truth. So in in the pattern of Psalm 18, give thanks to God for your victories. I might preach this sermon again on Thanksgiving Sunday. I don't know if I have a chance, but Do give thanks. Plan to give thanks for what God has done in your successes. See your successes in the light of Psalm 18. Give thanks to him for your skills, for your abilities. They come from him. Give thanks to him for your achievements, whatever they may be, and however maybe insignificant they might seem to you. Give thanks to him for that. Give thanks to him for the victories that he's given you over life's Big and perhaps small challenges. And always give thanks to him for the victory that is ours, ultimately won in the Lord Jesus Christ. When we lived in the Philippines, 
I remember one, on one occasion, we participated in a, in a vacation Bible school program at one of the churches. And I remember the day very clearly. We, we arrived at the church and where they were having the, uh, the kids were all, I don't know, there was like 100 kids out there. And there was a, as we arrived, there was a teacher up in front and she was giving instructions to the children. And she said something that has always stuck with me. It's very simple, and you've probably heard it before, but it's very profound, and it's very important for us to carry with us. And it's right in the spirit of Psalm 18. She simply said, in everything you do, children, do it for the, do your best at everything you do for the glory of God. And I always remembered that. I thought, that is spot on. And that is what Psalm 18 is all about. Achievements, success, victories, if you will, they are great things. But they are ultimately for the glory of God. That's what you and I want to be about. As Christians, then, we recognize the true purpose of victories, of achievements. And that is opportunities to display God's glory and his grace in our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you for victories and successes. They wouldn't happen without you. We owe everything to you, and, and it is our heart, heart's cry that, that we would honor you with our lives. I thank you that your word gives us teaching and counsel about how to handle achievement, how to handle when things go well, and we're happy about about things, because in every way we want to honor you in the good and the bad. I thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.